Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us again for another MediaWorks Digital Masterclass. Uh, today, we're going to be delivering a session on um, cutting the vanity metrics, critical PR measurement essentials for every business. So the focus is really going to be on, on sort of myself, my colleagues, uh, who we'll do some introductions to in a second, um, talking around sort of the digital landscape, how it's moved at a rapid pace over recent years. And obviously with this has come a significant shift in the way marketers and PR professionals are asked to demonstrate the effectiveness of their work. As PR evolves and we engage with our target audiences through diversifying digital platforms, it's critical that businesses look beyond vague circulations, column inches and vanity readership metrics to accurately monitor their reputation. In this session, myself and colleagues from MediaWorks will reveal the measurements that every business should track with great, far greater accuracy, the measurement of our PR initiatives and align uh, our measures and reporting to an organization's main business goals. And I think for me, when I was sort of working with this session, when Christian, Rachel and myself were getting our heads together, we wanted to really just highlight the role of PR in the modern digital marketing mix, if you like. So talking about its role, where it's relevant, where it can add a massive amount of value. Um, my name is David Norris. Um, for those of you that haven't dropped in on sessions previously, um, I'm the Performance Marketing Director here at MediaWorks and I'll be hosting today's session. Rachel, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks, David. So hi, my name's Rachel McGuigan and I'm the Head of Insights and Innovation at, at MediaWorks and hopefully I'm going to give you a bit on, of insight on how to measure digital like PR and digital PR and then over to Christian do you want to introduce yourself thanks Rachel yep um my name's Christian Serisola I'm um PR director here at MediaWorks um I've I've sort of come from I guess that that sort of traditional world of PR really um and, and kind of what we've been busy doing at, at MediaWorks over recent months is really sort of blending together um I, I think sort of some of those um traditional PR skills with, with really kind of how um, as, as a digital agency now, we can really start to be quite accurate with how we're, we're starting to measure that PR activity. Yeah, and I think I think that leads me perfectly into to sort of my first question, really, Christian. And I think that, as you know, when we were sort of planning, discussing this session in advance, one of the things we were looking at was, was the journey um, that PR measurement's been on. Um, so it's probably good to understand where we've come from in order to understand where we're going. Um, so from, from our perspective then, is there a concern that successful PR has too many associations with traditional print titles and then it all just feels a bit dated these days? Um, yeah, probably a good point, David. I think, um, sort of, as I mentioned, having come from that background, you, you, you're probably right to suggest that um, I, I think, you know, old PR measurement certainly was was sort of heavily based on, you know, quantitative measures um, that I, I think sort of lacked... I guess any nuanced understanding of of kind of what your PR activity was was really doing for you, and so sort of almost as nice as it was to to feel like um, it was great to get you know a dozen articles covering your your big announcement in in the press. Um, I, I think we're we're in this world now, and, and certainly that's accelerated over you know even over the last twelve months. That's that's accelerated to, to to for us to really be be in a position to say, well, no, it's got to be better than that um, now. And so, I, I guess traditionally, sort of circulations of newspapers would be um, that measure of how coverage may have may have been landing. But um, it was always tricky, I guess, to sort of understand exactly then how many people would have, have read that particular article. And and even now, I think there's there's sort of still a little bit of hangover from that circulations 
we, we used to sort of, I, I guess, bolster with readership. And this was from um, this sort of understanding that that um, in, in certainly in, in sort of old print world that um, more than one person might might um, uh, be expected to pick up a particular publication. So these readership figures came from um, certain publications saying, "We well, look, you know, we we we've done the studies that suggest that two and a half people um, on average will will read one publication." And so you got this sort of slightly in, inflated readership figure. Um, and there's a bit of that still, I think, in terms of I know we talked right at the top about vanity metrics, um, sort of online readership as something that seems to have, have, have come out of that world. And it's a figure that we, we sort of still see quoted quite a lot, which offers the sum of, of sort of all monthly users of a particular site. So, uh, you know, for argument's sake, if you were to land a you know a particular article on, on something like Mail Online, you, you get this sort of enormous figure of, of sort of, you know, 30 million odd people. Um, but I think we all know realistically that sort of every visit to a web to a website in a month um, is unlikely to have, have sort of read every piece on there, and so there's, there's I, I still think there's a bit of hangover from from that sort of readership um, thing of, of trying to arrive at some incredible figure. Um, that again, it's it sort of I guess we just sort of have to question what that's actually doing for us. Yeah, I think I think for me to come come, come back on that, Christian, I think it's really interesting because I know that when we do work together. You know, one of the, the metrics we'll often talk about is things like impression share. You know, so we'll talk about the number of impressions that you get. And it's, it's really interesting, isn't it, to see the number of impressions that are quoted in certain platforms. Um, I, how many people never see that possible um, ad that we're running or, or piece that we're running? And I think for me, it's, it's about sort of stripping it a bit further back from that, isn't it, and getting away from that model. Because as you say, we always take those numbers with a massive pinch of salt. You know, for us, it, it, it you know we talk right at the beginning of this as stripping it back to commercial objectives. And whilst you know impressions is 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 one metric, it's very rarely do I see that we run a campaign where, for example, impressions would be the metric that we'd measure or report them to a client um, because they'd say it was well, that's all well and good, but what impact did it have? What did it do? How did it sort of shift the needle? So I guess I guess then with that being said. How so? Where do we get better accuracy on measuring PR now? Then, because we know that you you know you've highlighted the fact that the old model has its challenges, has its limitations. Where do we move this forward to in terms of where we're we're pushing PR measurement to at this point? I think that's a really interesting question because the kind of as Christian touched on there, when we look at the traditional um, kind of methods of tracking these things it kind of loses what that means to the user. You know, that's all well and great, but what do, what am I actually getting from the back of that? And that's a question that we hear a lot more now. So we look at kind of more alternative methods of measurement and try to do a balance of, of sort of metrics that might be relevant to the client because I think that's the most important part. We have to try and actually explain what that PR activity means for them. Um, and I think sometimes you feel like, you have to include those traditional methods because that is just what every it's it's kind of what's ingrained with that service. It's kind of what everyone's used to feeling very comfortable to see. And if you were to ever present a different figure, that alternatively would always be significantly lower because as we've touched on how generic that figure is there, you know, it would look like it hadn't delivered and you would, in terms of return on investment and things like that, it would almost feel unjustified that that is the case but what I think we really need to touch on is kind of if you can actually display that in terms of what that means for the client 
And I think later on, we're going to go on to kind of some alternatives in terms of what you can look at and kind of where to get some of that insight. But I think essentially there's um, a huge array of different methods that you can look at in terms of tracking your um, your brand appearance online. And so a great place that we would usually start just to look at understanding whether um you know, whether PR should be a concern for you or whether there's something that you need to react to, because I think sometimes a lot of people just don't know whether it's, you know, whether it relates to them and whether they need it. So we we suggest using things like Keyword Planner or Google Trends and kind of being able to put your business name in there in your brand terms and track that over time. So it's got a great historical functionality there that says, Okay, and you can track and make sure that sort of level of people talking about you hasn't significantly changed. If it is on its way down, then it could be an indicator that, you know, you do need to, like PR is a solution to some of your problems or um, that you are kind of losing some of your, losing a piece of the conversation when people are talking about your industry or kind of your remit. So I think PR can help with that support and of brand awareness. And those two tools are definitely ones that I would recommend just keeping in the forefront of your mind to just have constant visibility of that. Um, and then really the question is whether that activity is rising or falling. Um, because you can look and you could see that things might be going down and, and you could get kind of frightened that there's, an, there's a significant issue there. But if you added in things like your competitors, what you might see is that it could be industry-wide and therefore, yes, it's not great. You can still put actions in place, but um, it's probably nowhere near as much of a concern as you initially thought when you were just looking at it in isolation and not compared to kind of the downturn or the upturn in your sector. Um, and we've had a good example of this where we look at if we consider things like a hotel or a holiday brand, there's definitely seasonality and peaks and troughs of searches over like a year period. And so you don't want to be reactive and make decisions on something when you haven't took into consideration the full seasonality or those are kind of industry-related trends that might appear. So I think this data is really useful and it definitely gives you a starting point of kind of, you know, is like, how do I understand if I need PR? When do we know when to act? But I think you have to take into consideration that wider picture of industry, sector, and kind of almost how what the current landscape is before you kind of go and make those decisions to say, yes, this is this is what I need or this is our next action of what we're going to do there. Yeah, um, just to, to to build on your point there, Rachel, it's it, it's a really good one. Sort of that that um, assessment of, of branded search using those tools like Google Trends or, or keyword search is is dead useful. But it's it's an important point to to sort of sometimes almost not not panic um, because there may well be sort of seasonality or you know th th these tools have got a, a really great ability to sort of add your competition in, so you can see if there are trends that are happening. Um, with other people or, or, or actually kind of see what, you know, what, what some of your competition might be up to in, in terms of brand activity and PR is, has always been a, a good driver of brand activity. So I, I think what we're then doing from, from almost that stage one is starting to look behind, um, you know, exactly what is happening. You know, we might see some spikes on, on brand search. So starting to investigate a little bit behind what is behind that and invariably um, 
what you do find is, is that there is generally sort of PR activity around those spikes. Um, so whether that's, you know, a, a great launch campaign or, a, you know, a big announcement for your business, um, what we can do is, is now show at least that kind of that activity is starting to influence behaviour um, on, on those people that have seen that uh, have seen that particular article. So you can track almost by date and see that, We'll go back to you know just mail online again, like I mentioned up the top. That if you were to to to, to sort of land something in a publication like that around your your brand or your business, um, that that drives people to sort of um, you know go and investigate a little bit more. Um, and, and this is what we're, sort of we're starting to get to a point already, I think, in, in in kind of progressing kind of PR measurement to say, well, actually, here's here's our action, and now we now we can start to track the reaction. Um, another thing we look at up top as well. Very, is is um, sort of customer review sites. Um, uh, number one, it's important because they they sort of form this part of your, uh, I guess your sort of your public facing persona. Really, things like you know Trustpilot or TripAdvisor, Google reviews, whatever it may be. There's there's lots of kind of um, review options out there for for, for customers. Um, I think it pays to really listen to and understand to what issues your customers may have. I know this can be very very painful at times, and, and, and invariably kind of people will will either say you're amazing or you're terrible, and, and kind of sometimes reviews are, are very rarely somewhere in between. Um, but do take time to understand sort of I think what themes are arising. Um, you know if if, if you're a restaurant and everyone's critical of your desserts or something, it may be a fair assumption to say, you know, your pastry chef is, is, the, is the thing that, that needs um, attention more, more so perhaps than, than your PR. I mean, there's, uh, I think a really good example of a few years back, Greg's um, having, I think, some big issues online with the volume of people um, complaining about litters uh, from, from its stores up and down the country. Um, and, and kind of given the volume of, of, of kind of issues that I was having and just kind of sheer scale of the business, it, it was really hard for them to tackle every every sort of single comment. But but it certainly was listening um, and it, it listened to, to a lot of those comments, implemented um, new measures to combat, um, you know, the, the, the litter issues. And only then did they then start talking about what they were doing. And it was, I felt it was a really great example of, of kind of, Firstly, listening, then acting, and then talking, and kind of important to be in that order almost, because otherwise you can trip yourself up um, if you sort of you know start making promises that then you you then can't keep. So um, it, you know, even organisations like Greg's, I think, are, are, are kind of while they're not um, assessing every kind of um, you know TripAdvisor review of a pasty, they're they're looking at kind of bigger issues and, and then are able to to act upon them. Yeah, I think I think for me, the, the, I have to say, Christine, some of what you're talking about is 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 that power of data, isn't it? You know, and that aggregated mm. data. You know, you're talking about trust sites, etc., um, and, and re- sorry, review sites such as Trustpilot, etc. I think for me, sort of the real power in those is is that aggregated data. You know, I, like I understand that everybody might have one or two bad reviews. Like it happens. You know, you're never going to please everybody, and. Actually, the statistics out there that the report that were very sceptical of five-star reviews. So I think the actual, it's something like the best rating to actually have is between 4.3 and 4.7 because you're more likely to be trusted. If you have five-star review across across the piece on aggregated data sets, people are very sceptical of it because we're all cynics, ultimately, and we believe that the data can be manipulated, etc. But I think for me, using those type of metrics are, are fantastic, really, and do give power to, to the likes of PR and the role of PR and, and, and what it can achieve. I also, also really sort of just wanted to highlight one of the points that you made really about um, 
when we were talk when we were talking about um, branded search, um, it the parallels I think with PR and things like paid social are re really really clear. Um, you know that they, they have um, uh, I wouldn't say a symbiotic relationship, but they have a relationship where they definitely work together um, and, and can work together really nicely. And often that's one of the things that we'll look for. You know, we work with, as you know, a number of really large um, paid search clients. And actually one of the things that we're having conversations with a number of clients on it is, is, is your brand, you know, struggling, doing really well? Um, because for us, branded search gives us the cheapest results, you know, in terms of it's the cheapest traffic that we can go for. So if that branded search and branded intent terms is going down, that really causes a massive impact. And, and as you know, the conversations that we're having with clients is around how can we get that cheap cheap traffic back, if you like, um, by the use of, for example, paid social or by the use of PR. And I think, you know, those parallels are really interesting in terms of, you know, engaging with a really wide audience and using it as the thing to sort of reel the customer in with and, and, and the, the thing that will get, you know, attention in the early stages. So, you know, and, and that leads me nicely on to the, the, the sort of next question I wanted to ask was around vanity metrics. So, again, one of the things that, as you know, I, I often will will sort of discredit things like likes on social posts as a metric and number of followers, et cetera, because, again, call me a cynic, I'm sceptical often of those as, as the barometer um, for success. But I guess it's the same from a PR perspective. And what else could we be looking at to help uh, inform better PR decision making or accuracy on performance? What what additional measures are out there that we could use? Yeah, so I think there's like from our point of view, there's quite a few. So, um, you know, I think people do like to see likes, shares, kind of that engagement metric. They want to feel like their content is reaching people. But I definitely think kind of we touched on it before when we talked about um trust pilot and the review sites your sentiment is going to be very different depending on what someone thinks of you but the commonalities and what they're saying is going to be important so being able to track the common things that keep coming up time and time again or being able to track the sentiment so review sites you you're right you've got an, you've got a chance of being biased here because it's either going to be a really good experience or a really negative experience. But social, where people are naturally interacting, where they may be making recommendations or kind of putting out public service announcements or warnings, like that is where you we would recommend looking at things like social sentiment because it gives you that. It kind of takes away some of the bias of a review site because nine times out of ten people are going there for you know specific reason, whereas on social it fills part of a natural conversation. So we definitely look at things like social listening and social sentiment when it comes to um, some of our clients and understanding what their brand perception is. Rachel, can I, okay. can, I, can I just interject there? Because yeah. I, think, I think for me, one of the one of the things that, you know, I, I, obviously we're at MediaWorks, so we understand probably the idea of social sentiment and social sort of listening. Um, so I just wonder if you could talk sort of the listeners through that a, li a little more in terms of what we actually mean by that and, and why it's an important measure therefore. Of course, yes. Yeah. So basically when we talk about social listening, what we want to look at there is kind of like what, like who's talking about your brand, where are they talking about your brand, what sort of things are they saying about your brand and brand-related terms or related hashtags that are part of your business. Um and that really just gives us, well, one, it can give you a gauge of kind of who your key audience is, 
what platforms they use, how to best communicate with your audiences. But also, you know, it might be on the likes of certain platforms, you actually, people talk about you quite negatively because maybe there's little interaction, there's little, you don't you don't have anyone man in that social platform who would engage and kind of um, be there as a customer service type of point of contact. So social listening really is just kind of the spread of platforms and where you're being talked about. Then when we talk about social sentiment, what we do is we want to track kind of how positive or negative we think it is. So again, it ties back to the platform there. But, you know, is it, for instance, on LinkedIn, when you, if you're B2B on LinkedIn, you get really positive social sentiment. People are, when they think about your business and kind of the, policies and the content that you're pushing out there it's very positive but actually you know what you might tend to find is when we have fashion clients things like twitter have really negative sentiment because it's complaints about delivery times and quality or getting an order messed up or things like that so understanding the sentiment of the conversation and kind of what's being tracked as positive and negative really allows you to understand what people are talking about and then what we would usually try to do is pool the negatives and the positives together and say okay what's the areas that need addressed you know is it delivery time is it um there's no one there to ever answer the phones or is it and then what's positives what's our usps what can we shout about and what do we need to address from a pr perspective and you know what could maybe be um what could we maybe use as a selling point to our business as well so it's really good at informing kind of what the conversation is around your brand and gives you a, a guidance of where you might need to start addressing problems first. Um, and I think it's been really interesting to look at social conversations and how this impacts the real world. So hopefully you guys will have seen that we've actually done quite a few um, social sentiment uh, pieces of work for media works where we look at predicting Oh, we look at understanding how people feel about kind of reality shows. So, you know, we look at things like Strictly and I'm a Celebrity and we look at the conversation and the tweets behind that and we try to see what people feel about each character and as this show goes on, how does that, how has that worked? And I think we've we've shown that social sentiment does kind of align with the outcomes of a, of a show and that I think that backs up why it's so important because, yes, in that context, it's a TV show, but the exact same things are happening about happening about your brand. So if you can do something and listen to it and create an action off the back of it, you know, you prove that it, it works and it's actually really useful for you. Actually, um, coming on this, I actually um, read something around um, American football. So the, the NFL draft and teams were using social sentiment around players um, as, as part of the draft mechanism. So seeing what their fans thought about them selecting certain players, because it's all done through a predictive uh, model, essentially, whereby, you know, you look at a number of variables and select whether the player is going to be right for your team, etc. And then what happens is the the odds on those players being selected in a particular order then, then come up. And the organisations were actually using social sentiment to see what the fans were reacting and what their views were before actually confirming the pick. And I think it's really interesting that we're seeing this data come 
through it, you know, we, we were talking about particular campaigns that we've run or social pieces or, or outreach pieces that we've run. But it's really interesting to see how that data has been used in, in sort of multitude formats. I think the other thing I just wanted to briefly touch on was I think we can't underestimate the sort of propriety, proprietary sorry, social media tools too and the, the inbuilt functionality that we see on. I know you touched on it, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. For me, you know, I know I said this earlier, we don't typically chase likes. We don't typically chase followers when we're running, you know, campaigns. But, you know, we do look at things like the sentiment that we're seeing around particular brands. We also look at sort of what is that driving at a later point. So I know we'll talk about this very, you know, often, Rachel, you and I will talk about sort of multi-channel reporting and, and multi-channel um, uh, profiling. Um, and attribution in terms of looking at the impact that s- something had on something else later down the conversion path. And I think for me, I think that's a, you know, it does take us nicely onto the, the tracking that customer journey and, and what that actually means, what actions and reactions we can measure from any PR activity. Yeah. I think this is where it gets quite exciting because we touched on those traditional methods and we kind of said like, this is, you know, kind of what you would used to, like what you were used to be seeing. And I think a lot of the time we kind of never, the theory about PR was that we never really tried to put any value against it or it didn't really relate to what that meant as a client. So right now, like the way we work as a company, we start requesting analytics access now um, as we would with any other service line in media works because really being able to understand and kind of view and visualize the impact of any PR activity is really important for us to to know if we're delivering something that's successful to the client. Um, This data tells us a lot. There's so many reports within Google Analytics that would help understand and show the impact of PR activity. And I think, yes, it's not gonna be as high volume numbers. I think we've seen that in a few case studies it's not as high as the online readership number, but it is a lot more um, kind of targeted as to what that means for you. And kind of, I think from a PR perspective, especially like Christian, it gives you guys kind of visibility of what worked and what didn't work and for future learnings as well. And that being able to learn from the data, that bit's really important. Um, So we have a client who actually wanted us to it, they wanted their comms activity to mirror their own activity that they were doing as a business. And um, using analytics, we were able to show how they had success in the regions of like um, Leeds, Wakefield, Doncaster and Sheffield, because what we could see is spikes in their website from these regions, while the PR and their activity were going hand in hand. And I think, yes, it's it's nice to be able to put that in front of a client and actually say, look, the efforts have worked because we've saw an increase here or, you know, we could see that there was a knock-on impact from this website after this piece went live or something like that. Um, And I think by showing them the area, like the performance in these key pages, it was really easy to say like that that did work, but, the best part is when you can put it hand in hand with other metrics. So we've talked, I think, you know, we reiterate this a lot as a company. It's not just one one data set determines how things perform. And it's also not 
we don't just look at one thing and say, right, well, if it's not on there, it didn't, it didn't happen. And so it's really nice to be able to pull multiple data sets together to say, you saw this and not only did you see this, but this happened as well, because we've talked in this so far about the impact of brand um, and things like that. And I think you have to take those into consideration. You, you know, PR is kind of one of those things that can touch multiple points of the journey. And so by just looking tunnel vision into analytics, you probably miss some other key impacts. So we, we look at things like, is there a rise in um, paid, paid uh, sorry, is there a rise in branded searches or, you know, has the, has the sentiment changed or something like that, that might also go hand in hand and say, well, actually, we know that there was some impact from PR that wasn't just driving people to the website because essentially that isn't PR's sole purpose, but it is a nice to know at the same time. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think just to come in on that, Rachel, I think yes. also the, the level of targeting that you can now do from, from PR, you know, we've seen a seen a diversification of, of publications, of co- the way that people consume content. And I don't think it's ever been more targeted and more bespoke. I mean, you know, you look through your own social feed right now, and it's it's essentially a list of things that you've opted into. Um, you know, whereas in the old, you know, when I used to read a, a, a magazine on rugby, for example, there might be four or five articles in it that I was interested in. And actually, the vast majority, I might not be, but I'd still get the publication because I wanted to read those four or five articles. Whereas I think social has allowed us to be a bit more granular. And I think when we're talking about, you know, for example, the, the come success that we had through PR in those particular regions, it's really interesting how we can really target from a hyper-localized perspective now. It's not just saying, we're going to target Yorkshire and see what happens. You know, for us, it's now we can actually drive that and then start to attribute that and link that back to the metrics that we're seeing on the other side of that from a client's perspective. So really making sure that we marry those up. Um, from a tracking perspective then, Rachel, sort of, you know, have you got any advice, any guidance around how you might go around tracking some of these PR pieces? Yeah, definitely. So I think... And like we touched on, analytics has a ton of reports. So if you have very specific campaign goals that you want to achieve, so it might be increased pe- like increased eyeballs in a certain location, um, you've got like demographics and interest reports in analytics that will allow you to do that. If you get a big pub- like a big piece on a publication, you can look at things like your referral. Um, reports and sources to understand how much traffic did that um, bring and was that around the time that the article went live was there a spike at that time and that will kind of allow you to know how maybe an individual publication has done Um, and then similarly when we talk about landing pages so for instance if we are doing a branded piece do you see an increase of traffic to your homepage? because that could be a good indicator but those are really nice, and I think they're a good indicator, but it's not concrete evidence of PR performance. It's just this pattern. We spot this pattern at the same time this activity went live, and that's nice to know. So my probably biggest piece of advice is if you ever get the option to add UTM tracking to any of your PR activity, so that is basically um, UTMs allow you to add from it as which you can say, it came from this publication, it was PR activity, and you know, it was for our autumn winter campaign, whatever it may be. So you can put 
those additional parameters in and they feed into analytics and allow you to see all of your reports by that. So if you ever get the option where you can customize a link to your website, I would 100% recommend doing it because that is your concrete data to say, this is what this PR piece actually drove and the information you get from that is invaluable. Yeah, I think, I think I'm think i going to bring in a couple of questions that have been asked now because I think it links in really nicely with what we've been talking about, Rachel, around um, sort of what tools do we recommend uh, for seeing social sentiment and then also what tools do we recommend to evaluate your online brand? So there's probably a handful. So for instance, like we touched on, Keyword Planner and Google Trends are great ways to just understand how people are searching about your brand um, in general and if that changes month on month. Um, there is other platforms that do social sentiment in a big, in like in a larger scale, but they are paid for platforms. So the likes of Pulsar, Meltwater, um, all of those platforms kind of give you the ability to track across new sites, public like um, blogs, social, etc. cetera, um, but they do come with a cost. So that is one to be aware of. Um, obviously using your own social platforms is really important. So again, tracking engagement um, and making sure that you track what people are saying. So replies to comments, um, you know, any reviews that you're being left on these platforms, what the tweets that you're getting through, you know, pick up on those common words and phrases that we talked about. We talked about review sites. Those are really important because, again, you can spot trends of what's causing problems or what people are concerned about with your brand, and hopefully you can act on them. Um, and I think that's probably a very good place to start because just amongst those handful of things, there is um, a significant amount of data in those um, just in those platforms alone. So there's probably more, but I think that's a really good place to understand it. And, um, and it gives you that opinion. And a lot of these tools that do social listening, like um, Meltwater and Pulsar that we just touched on there, um, they, they already encompass all social sentiment for you. So they will find where you're where people are talking about you and categorize what the sentiment is, whether it was positive or negative for you. So it takes out a lot of the legwork there as well. Yeah, and I think and I think just to come on that, because we seem to have lost Christian, but that's <laughs> our problem, we'll make it work. Um, I think for me, the point that you've made there, though, Rachel, is around, you know. Relying on multiple data sets, you know, is what you've just highlighted to me is we never just necessarily go to one source and go, all right, you know, take and that, that works. We're often looking for multiple sort of touch points and that sort of aggregated data does give us a, a different perspective and a different outlook on what we're trying to achieve. And the other thing I would just highlight there as well is around, as you say, that, that social sentiment piece is something that you can start building up internally yourself but it's also something you should be asking you know if you're working with a PR agency it's something that you should definitely be asking them about as well um you know if you've got an incumbent agency because it is something that we would be straight away having conversations around as part of our standard measuring so I think that's an important point to make and um, final point then is when we were talking about the previous sort of campaign that we ran targeting specific locations etc um, that campaign really allowed us to dig deeper into audiences for that client. And we did use paid activity to reach some key decision makers in those cities via LinkedIn. 
i.e. we use the audience profiling techniques that are built in within the platforms to outreach the, the PR activity, the PR content that we generated to ensure that it got in front of the right audience. This is where the PESO approach, so it's a well-trodden path, but if you haven't, you know, aren't aware of it, then you should be aware of it. If you are aware of it, great, we'll reiterate, which PESO stands for paid, earned, shared, and owned. And it's really a way to categorize your online marketing activity or the channel activity that you're engaging with. Um, this is an approach that's common in PR now, um, Christian, and, and I know you you sort of wanted to come in on that because me and you have often had a, a, a heated debate on where it actually came from, where it actually sat. I actually think, Christian, by the way, I think I'm losing, I think I'm fighting a losing battle here because everything I've read, it definitely does come from the PR world originally. So, you know, I'm on record as saying that now, Christian, so there's, there's, no, there's no backtracking. I am really pleased this is getting recorded, David. You made my day. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, PESO model, it's it, it sort of, um, I, I guess, um, as David mentioned there, it really drives um, so much of, of sort of how we look at um, activity for any client, really, if they're sort of trying to, um, you know, I, I guess sort of own their future online. Um, and But it, it, it is something, and I'm glad David has now admitted this, that, that kind of came out of, was born out of PR, um, quite a few years ago, probably going back sort of um, five, six years ago, maybe even longer. Um, and it was sort of with the advent of, of kind of the popularity of, of, of social media, really, where um, PR traditionally had, had kind of, I just sort of, I suppose, it worked predominantly in, in that earned space. Um, but I think, uh, you know, smarter agencies were realising actually that kind of the, the way of delivering kind of good communications couldn't then just be restricted to, to sort of that earned environment. Um, and, and kind of what you were doing was, was kind of any kind of creativity or strategy that, that involved kind of developing sort of PR campaigns or big communications campaigns started to have reach or started to have resonance kind of around kind of whether that was, you know, your own channel, whether you were looking at kind of developing blogs, for instance, and then becoming an authority in your own right on your particular subject. Um, whether that was via shared stuff, so, you know, obviously looking at, um, you, you know, social media and kind of then how people would, would interact and, um, and would amplify that for you, as, as well as then the, the sort of the paid stuff. And um, we, we sort of see so many examples now of where um, it, it's almost become a little bit sort of agnostic, is in, in, certainly in terms of media works, where kind of the creativity and the strategy comes from. We, we, we tend to lay over this, this sort of peso approach and go, right, what is the best method here of really kind of um, getting that message to the people that is most important for, for, for our clients? And I think that comes right the way back to the top of it, David, about, um, you know, just really understanding what the client's business goals are yeah. and then approaching it in that way. I mean, we, we, um, we, we did. We, we looked at it with that, that client we were talking about who sort of wanted that reach into Yorkshire that not only could we show them that we were getting those eyeballs, but then... Um, David on the paid side certainly um, took over and really came into his own to get him very, very targeted within those regions. So um, I, I, I think it's probably where we've sort of evolved a little bit with this sort of whole content phrase, I guess, um, and, and kind of the quality of your content is crucial now, not only in, in, I guess, sort of earning you that media coverage, but really driving what you can say to your, you know, your, your target audience via those other channels as well. Um, and, and that then kind of, you know, that shareability, if you like, is, is something, that can, you know, content is right, really helps the message travel very, very quickly. So, um, yeah, you know, Peso is a, a really good thing to always sort of bear in mind, whether it's PR or any other kind of communication channel now you're 
you're thinking about with, with in terms of online delivery, it's a really, really good thing to sort of have in the back of your mind and just understanding, I think, kind of what is the best route now to, to my audience. Yeah, I think I think for me, I think the thing I'd come in on there is it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think that from a digital marketing perspective, like Rachel and I will often get involved in conversations around like quant, you know, quantitative information, so number-based information. But actually, you know, it's never been more important. The written words never been more important because yeah, it gives us all of these metrics and it spits out all of these really interesting stats on the other side of campaigns. But actually, the centre of most of the channels now is actually written content or, or, for example, video content, et cetera. So it's not, it's not a paid-by-numbers approach. You have to get your content right, and the content really has to drive all the other channels. You know, we typically see great content in social is so much more easy for us to outreach and boost. You know, it's, it's so much easier from an SEO perspective to get picked up and get engaged with. We know that good content on websites uh, that links with the PR stories and make sure that then comes through in the news on your site helps from a conversion rate optimization perspective. So the word is really, you know, boosting the numbers. And, and as I say, that numerical element is always what we report on because it's the hard and fast and fact, you know, of it. We've talked about that today, but it's never been more important to understand the power of sort of written communication and, and, and the different sort of, online communication techniques that are out there. And I think for me, the role of PR has massively shifted over the last sort of five to 10 years. And I think social media has exacerbated that and probably actually put quite a lot of pressure on PR to, to mm. be a bit more accountable and be a bit different because I, I know when you and I have talked, Christian, you know, it's something that you came up against after 25 years in the industry of people saying to you, well, I can now just do it on social media and reach out to my audience. So why do I need to do a PR piece? But I think from, from our perspective, we see them as very, very separate entities. And the power of, of PR done well is massive. And we see that across a number of campaigns that we're running right now. And, you know, as you say, from our perspective, it's how we come at that from that channel agnostic perspective. So it always starts with what are your commercial objectives? And then we work our way back from there to say, right, how do we build out the plan? How do we deliver on those objectives? We don't come in with a, we've got a PR solution for you, here it is. And I think that for me is a really important point. Um, and one of the final points that I wanted to finish on, I also just wanted to highlight, before I go into summarising the session, I also wanted to highlight sort of what our giveaway today is. We often finish these sessions by highlighting sort of what the next step should be. Um, from our perspective, what we'd like you to do is if you're interested for your organization, we'd like to actually run a PR audit that assesses brand search and have a quick uh, look at how your online reputation is faring. So I know a couple of questions already came in around how do you measure brand online and brand intent, and brand, you know, um, um, referrals and recommendations, etc. But, you know, from our perspective, we're happy to help you with that. He uses these tools we've outlined above and is really nice uh, initial PR uh, to look under your hood. Um, so really just have a bit of a deeper understanding, a bit of a deeper look into your organisation. So anybody that's interested in that, please follow up this um, masterclass with an email into info.mediaworks.co.uk. Finally, I just wanted to finish with five key points, um, the, the actionable takeaways, which is the way that we always finish. I think the first one would be go and assess the PR metrics that you're currently using. You know, hopefully the conversations today has is, is already got you thinking and got you challenging what you're currently doing or the way that you're currently monitoring PR. Um, you know, are they telling you enough about what's really happening is a really big question. 
The second would be utilize keyword um, research and keyword search and Google Trends. It's very simple to use, something we use quite a lot, and also it helps you keep an eye on the competition at the same time. So I think going back to Rachel's point, don't just measure yourself, measure yourself against your competition and see what's happening and whether that's trending. You know, and again, if you're unsure, then do let us know. The third point would be use analytics. You know, we, are, you know, one of the reasons Rachel's on this uh, call and the session today is because, you know, as, as head of our head of our insights team, um, it does, you know, provide a lot of data. We see data as being absolutely key in driving a lot of your digital marketing activity going forward. So, you know, please make sure you understand how you're tracking and what you're tracking and whether you're tracking the right things. That then leads us nicely on to point four, which is utilize UTMs. You know, Rachel highlighted it. It allows us to track specific events or specific activity online. You can link that in with PR in terms of people who clicked on particular links or people who came in via particular channels. It's just a great way to see the impact that something like a PR piece has had or a number of PR pieces have had over a period of time. And then finally, I guess the place to, to finish would be my admission around Peso. You know, I've shocked myself. I didn't really know I was going to say that, to be honest with you, Christian. So it feels a bit, you know, like I've conceded a little. But I do think it's really important to think about Peso, think about its role um, in when you're considering from a PR strategy perspective. And you can really make your communications activity work better if you're considering paid, earned, shared, and owned, and the distribution of those, and not coming into them with a predetermined solution. You know, thinking about, what corporate objectives, what marketing objectives, what campaign objectives are we trying to achieve? And then looking at the blend of those channels and methods that are going to deliver the results. You know, as I said, I want to just finish by saying thanks very much to Rachel. Thanks very much to Christian. Thank you for the questions that we've had throughout the session. And thanks for listening. Um, I say, hopefully we've provided insight that will sort of get you thinking a bit more about the PR opportunity and what it is and what's available out there now. And if you've got any questions and you want the stuff, follow up with us then just reach out and let us know thank you very much everyone thank you bye thank you guys bye.